0: Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Amanda Nelson, the executive editor of Book Riot, all about bookish spreadsheets, stats, and reading goals. And don't forget, you can find a complete transcript of this episode over on our website, readingwomenpodcast.com, which of course will be linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. A little uh, show note here before we get started talking to Amanda. Uh, Just a reminder that we have our t-shirt campaign with our limited edition Reclaim Half the Bookshelf t-shirts available until about the 23rd of December. So you will definitely want to go and check that out. We also have our brand new tote bags. They also say reclaim half the bookshelf. They are sturdy navy canvas. They also have lovely handles and flat bottoms so you can run to the bookstore or the library and it will hold up and be as tough as you are because we all know we are all very serious readers. (laughs) We also have a sale on our book blind dates, on our hardback book blind dates. You can get 20% off by visiting our store. All of these items will be mentioned in our show notes. Definitely go check them out if you're still doing some of your holiday shopping because we have something for you. Also, if you are looking for Reading Women Award Seals, those are there as well. We sell them at cost. You get free shipping and you can have your little Reading Women Award Seals on the winners this year, Thick by Tressie McMillan-Cottom and Cantoras by Carolina de Robertis. So yeah, that's it for show notes and now it's time to talk to Amanda. Well, welcome, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you. I'm so excited (laughs) to be on this show. I love this show so much.
0: Oh, thank you. I am very thrilled to have you on because when I, I, I don't know what this says, but when I thought about spreadsheets and bookish goals and things your name immediately popped into my mind. Yeah. So I'm
1: very goal oriented. (laughs) I love a spreadsheet. I love like making a pie chart about all the genres I read this year. I was just in my spreadsheet messing with it this morning (laughs) in preparation for this show. So very in my wheelhouse.
0: So before we go into our goals for the upcoming year and recap a little bit about our goals this year, I wanted to ask you a little bit about why goals work for you Mm. and what? how that has changed your reading over time. Okay. So I guess the first question is, you know, how long have you been tracking your reading and how has that changed over the years?
1: Um, I have always tracked my reading in some way or another, like in high school. I, this is terrible. Please don't judge me for this. But when I was in high school, <laughs> I had a, like a list of books that people had to read if they wanted to like enter My friend group, which is the worst. I know, it's awful. It's just awful. i was such a snob. Somebody asked me to make it. In my defense, somebody asked me to make it. And I collaborated with, like, the other members of my friend group to make this list. And that was largely comprised of, like, the stuff, of course, that we had read in those past few years because... Teenagers are the worst and recency bias and all of that. <laughs> so I've always tracked my reading in some way or another. It has become more like granular and spreadsheety the older that I've gotten as opposed to like just writing it in a notebook. So that's one way it's changed. I it was also, you know, I think that uh, when I was a kid or when I was a teenager and when I was um, first getting into the bookish internet and it just started my blog which was called Dead White Guys it was about cla- the classics um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I was mostly tracking for my own like t- checking off things like I want to read all of Jane Austen and then I would track it to make sure that I was doing that or I wanted to read all of Dickens or D- Tolstoy or Dostoevsky or whatever it was um, so it was almost like a for my own, I don't know, um, bragginess because I was such a like literary goofball and like snooty, um, and then as I got older and as I got you know to working with at working at Book Riot and realized that the way that I was reading wasn't actually like the best representation of my interest, I got more into like spreadsheets. I got onto Goodreads, uh, which I do not like as much as a spreadsheet, but that's because I track fifteen thousand things and Goodreads just isn't like great for that. Um, it's true. Yeah, you can't, like, you can make shelves and stuff, but that's not, uh, I want to make a pie chart. <laughs> like, I want to make, you know, well, 14 pie charts. If you look at my spreadsheet now, there's a lot of pie charts and graphs and stuff. And uh, Goodreads doesn't, doesn't have all the bells and whistles that I want. So it's definitely gotten more... Um, I don't know if I want to, like, identity-focused. Like, I'm way more concerned with who I'm reading as opposed to what, necessarily. Um, And it's gotten more -hmm. more way more specific than it used to be.
0: Mm -hmm. And even though Goodreads, like, updates their stuff, like, now you can mark, finally, if you're rereading a book. Yeah. You know, that happened, what, a couple years ago? And now it's, like, you can mark whether or not the book is in your library. And it's one thing with the audiobooks, though, with Goodreads is, like, they put CDs, so it's like it oh. counts a CD, a CD as a page. But now that's not even relevant because I no. have CDs. No, it's
1: not. It's not. I tried. Have you ever tried library thing?
0: I have, and I just have so many books. Like mm-hmm. trying out is just so labor intensive. Yeah, same. And I and I call my books very frequently. Mm-hmm. Like I have five Trader Joe's tote bags full of books waiting to go to a used bookstore.
1: Nice.
0: <laughs> so you know, I try to help be healthy and just keep them out like going out if they're coming in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I tried to last year I tried to do a one book in, one book out thing. That didn't work. But it's definitely <laughs> on my mind. Um but I have tried like most of the apps or bookish like tracking digital device things that like exist. Um and like nothing just nothing is as satisfying as a spreadsheet for me.
0: It does have that special sparkle. That's <laughs> <laughs> the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, so I, I started tracking my reading when I was about 16, and I would write down everything that I wrote in this <sighs> book called The Book Book. <laughs> A very original, I'm sure. And so then I moved everything over to Goodreads. But Goodreads, it doesn't, like you mentioned, track identity things or, or any sort of intersections of diversity uh, and so mm-hmm. it's like you could read, keep reading, and you would never really notice. Uh, when did you first notice that your reading was just white dudes?
1: Yeah, super white. Just <laughs> I had been in Goodreads for a while. I think I have been tracking my reading in Goodreads for, let's see, Book Riot started in 2011. So probably two years before that. So probably 2009. And I didn't pay attention to the diversity of my reading at all until I started working at Book Riot Because Book Riot has an editorial... Uh, diversity mandate, where a certain percentage of our coverage has to be authors of color. And of course, if you're writing for a book site, you can't really write about stuff you haven't read. So I needed to start paying attention to what I was reading in that way um, so I could meet the editorial standards. Um, For my job. And I went back when I realized this, and I think this was probably in 2013 or 2014, when I went back and realized, like, I've never noticed this before, I should see like how I'm doing with reading diversely. And so I looked back at the last year, and I had read 4%. Authors Ooh. of color. And this is when, you know, I read a lot. Like I have 120, 130 books a year, which is nothing compared to like <laughs> Liberty, who hosts all the books and reads 400 books a year. Um, but that's a lot and it is my job, so it's fine. But I was only reading. F- percent authors of color it was over half men which makes sense I mean I read a lot of classics at the time so it was a, as my blog was titled it was a lot of dead white men and I was really shocked I was really really shocked by that because I have always considered myself to be like a consumer of any kind of story I, I really thought I don't know I don't know what I thought I thought I was better than that but I think that Um, We all probably think we're doing better than that, but the reality is if you're not making a conscious effort to do better than that, you're probably not because we, you know, well, I'm like getting off on a tangent now, but we, we, um, our our tastes don't develop in a vacuum. We all say, you know, I just want to read a good book and that's true. And there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. But if you're not, if you're just pursuing what you think a good book is without paying attention to any other aspects of it, you're going to just end up reading white authors because what we consider a good book is a matter of taste, and our tastes don't develop out of nothing. They develop out of how we were raised and you know what our teachers gave us to read when we were growing up, and of course, mar- what's marketed to us. And what's marketed to us is overwhelmingly white authors. So that's how you end up accidentally participating in these systems where only stories by white people are being told. Even though, as readers, I would not consider myself racist in my reading, but I was reading in a way that was not diverse. And that was certainly biased towards white stories. So that's when I uh, had like a, know, like a come to bookish Jesus. Where I was like, <laughs> I cannot continue this way, both because my job doesn't require it, but all, I mean, because my job doesn't allow it, but also as a reader, that's just not the kind of stories I want to be telling or I want to be consuming all of the time. So that was probably, I actually have my spreadsheet open right now. I started, yeah, so that would have been 2013 because I started, um, tracking it seriously with like a spreadsheet in 2014.
0: Sometimes it comes like suddenly and you realize, or sometimes you're just like you realize the books that you've been picking up aren't diverse mm-hmm. in, in different ways. And I feel like once you figure that out in in one intersection, you know, like, oh look, I'm reading a bunch of dudes. Why mm-hmm. aren't I reading women or whatever that might be, you again begin to realize other intersections of identity you're not reading. Did that at any time like feel overwhelming like all the work that you felt like you needed to do to read more diversely
1: yeah and it, it still does not over well I don't know if I would say overwhelming but I, I'm i still aware of the way the areas that I'm not making an effort or making as much of an effort as I wish that I were but you know I mean we're people and you can you can't focus you can't fix everything all at once or if you can like godspeed I couldn't fix everything all at once <laughs> And it was a matter of not seeing all of my blind spots at first. I saw this one. And then as I began to realize all the other ways in which I wasn't reading diversely it was like (laughs) ah where do I what to do so I just focused on one thing at a time and every year I would take on a new intersection of diversity that I thought was important that I wanted to work on personally and also that I wanted to take the site in so if I wanted Book Riot to be covering more books in translation in a certain year then I would have to be reading more Uh, books and translation as an example in my own um, reading life so it it can be overwhelming and I think that one of the reasons why readers or people who are trying to be more conscious consumers of any industry hesitate is because there is that feeling of like well I can't do it perfectly so why even bother like I'm just gonna do it I'm just gonna take the easy way and I see this in my own life outside of reading a lot we're like you know, every time I go into Target to buy socks, I have this like bad, like fast fashion, you know, but it's across the street from my house and whatever. And I like, I'm a single mom and I don't have time to go anywhere else. And so you have to give yourself, I think like some slack you're making an effort. And if you are making an effort to diversify your reading, you have to start somewhere. And if starting with every single possible intersection that you can think of that you're not participating in overwhelms you that just like pick one and like focus on that for a while. So give yourself some grace, I think, but it can be overwhelming. Yeah.
0: That was definitely my experience, but I'm very much, I I can, my tasks, you know, I can put in little boxes and like, okay, start here. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, when we did the podcast, I realized, you know, we started because we realized we were reading men. So I focused on women for a year and I was actually looking at my spreadsheet. You can see the change, you know, and like, 2016, where I read way mm. more women than before. And the next year, we focused on people of color, how that changed over time. And this year, I've only read out of 100 and almost 140 books, I read 12 to 14 by men. Mm. So, <laughs> so I was like, I think I'm doing pretty well. Like, it's, it's progress. And so I feel like once you realize and train yourself to pick up books, that are diverse in this particular way you're focusing on it sort of like just integrates into your reading mm-hmm. life.
1: Yeah, I didn't have to I don't really have to focus on it anymore when it comes to reading women or reading people of color. It's not something I track it still, but it's not something that I have to actively try to do because it is just integrated into my reading life now. So those are the stories I gravitate to because as I was attempting to figure out what my tastes actually were outside of, you know, the marketing kind of machine, I realized that I I love reading books by people of color and I love reading books by women. So I gravitate towards those naturally now. It's not something I have to make myself do or that I have to be intentional about. So every year that I focus on a different aspect of, you know, the lived experiences of humanity, it it becomes easier. It just becomes easier. And it doesn't hurt that publishing has also started paying attention to this too. So the books are easier to find. Which was not true, I don't think, 10 years ago. It wasn't as easy to find uh, books by authors of color that got big marketing budgets or that were being sent out in galleys to people. That wasn't really happening. We had to make a big fuss for that to happen. So it is easier now.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I was just looking back over, like, when I was a kid, I was thinking about my favorite audiobooks. And I used to Unabridged once I realized that that was a thing. Um, but after that, it was like I had a very limited selection of audiobooks mm-hmm. that were available. And it's like only the ones that are super popular, like Percy Jackson, got audiobooks um, at that time. Now everyone gets them, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. It's interesting to see that that change over time, to see how people in my town, in my small town, Southern Ohio, like the librarian I met a couple of years, uh, she was my librarian as a kid. So a couple of years ago, I went back and asked her what her favorite book was. And she was like, this book. And it was a book by an Asian American man. And she's like, this was my favorite book of the year. And I don't think that would have been the case, you know, yeah. when I was a kid. So it's really great. I
1: was see. just looking this morning. No, it was yesterday. It doesn't matter. I was looking yesterday on Reddit, <laughs> uh, and the the books Reddit, like Reddit slash books, has a, had a big thread about you know the best books that you would read in the year. And these aren't necessarily people who work in the book industry. They're just you know readers, just normal readers. And so I was flipping through that thread, and it was a surprising amount of diversity. And uh, that would not have been the case, I don't think. I mean, you can look at the Goodreads people's or the Goodreads Choice Awards from fiber 10 years ago um and it's glaringly white you know and and now that's really shifting and I think that points again back to the idea that readers aren't we're not automatically trying to only like I'm sure there are some people but very few people are out there in the world being like I'm only going to read books by white people on purpose that's not what's happening people are just picking up what's interesting to them but now that publishing has heard this call for more diverse authors and is putting them out there and putting marketing budgets and publicity behind these authors, you're seeing readers happily pick them up because they readers want good stories from all kinds of voices. Um, so it is nice to see that it's becoming more common.
0: Yeah, and even celebrities or celebrities you wouldn't think would be aware of certain mm-hmm. things are, are picking books for their book clubs that are diverse, mm-hmm. uh, like Jenna's book club. Like when she announced it, and she uh, picked uh, *Tougher Rooms*, *Woman Is No Man*, and then mm-hmm. she picked uh, *Patsy* by Nicole dennis Bend. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Girl, go,
1: yeah,
0: like, <laughs> pick <Yeah>. those books." <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so no, Reese
1: Witherspoon's book club has been surprisingly—is that bad of me to say? I'm a little surprised at <laughs> like how do I like Reese Witherspoon? Like, no shade to her, but surprisingly diverse her selections have been. Because
0: normally it was just like Oprah's book club mm-hmm. that would would that would do that. And bless her make sure yes. live forever I, I do feel like there has been a change it's not i mean obviously there's still a lot of work to do and different things that we're going to talk about our goals here in a second but mm. it, it is promising it's encouraging to see almost like you know all of our combined efforts
1: yeah good job everybody
0: <laughs> yes yes everyone have an extra cookie today and we'll be back with more from this episode of reading women after a word from our sponsor The sponsor of this episode is Sidetrack. Sidetrack is an ultra-portable USB monitor that attaches to the back of your laptop for a more productive workday, whether you're at home, the office, or a coffee shop, or wherever you go. I love Sidetrack because if it's on to the back of my computer and the side screen comes out, I can use spreadsheets, I can have something playing in one screen and working in another. It is really a must-have if you are working on your laptop and on the go it is so stellar sidetrack can also mirror your screen and rotate 180 degrees for convenient collaboration presentations demos and more studies show that you are 24 percent more productive and can save five plus hours a week working with two screens imagine what you can accomplish with all of that extra time so Sidetrack has arranged for a special discount for Reading Woman listeners. You can get 10% off by visiting sidetrack.com slash discount slash That's 10% off. Go ahead and visit Sidetrack. That's S-I-D-E-T-R-A-K slash discount slash Reading And of course, that will be linked in our show notes. And thanks so much to Sidetrack for sponsoring this episode of Reading Woman. We've talked a little bit about making goals and wanting to like tackle maybe this Mm -hmm. thing per year. And that's I feel like we're both very much oriented with goals and that helps us. But that doesn't help everyone. Sometimes they can feel overwhelmed and they might use a different method. But what about goals really helps you focus on that to be conscious of it. And how does that affect your reading? And what is the dynamic between that?
1: Well, it's like I've just I respond really well to having something to fight towards or something to push towards. I have a bit of a um I don't even know how to put it like a little bit of a combative streak. <laughs> so when I figured out that I wasn't reading diversely, I knew that the only way I was going to uh, correct that was if I made a goal for myself. It's like, um let me think so you know that that scene in the devil wears prada when andy goes into uh what's her name miranda's office and is like laughing because she thinks that all the belts look the same or whatever miranda has that great rant that she directs at andy that's like you think you are you have made a choice that places you above or outside of this industry but in reality the sweater you put on your back was chosen for you by the people in this room like these big powerful corporations and i think the same is true In reading, and once I realized that—that you know, we think we make these choices that are independent of of anything else except our own minds, when that's not reality at all. And once I realized that that was true for myself too, I got a little bit like, ugh, I need a goal so I can fix that because I don't like it. Like I want to have my own taste that is developed independent of what the big five, you know, which are the huge multinational, multi-billion dollar publishing houses have decided that they want me to read. I don't want to be that kind of reader. And I know that not everyone is like that, like not everybody cares that they're picking books because they're marketed to them as long as they enjoy the book. And it's not to say that books with big marketing budgets aren't good. Oftentimes they're very good and that's fine. But the dynamic between me and goal setting has always been, like, that's how I have to do it or I won't pay attention. Like, I need to have the intentionality behind my actions or I will just continue to do the same thing that I've always done. Because I'm lazy. (laughs) 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 And I have a lot going on, like everybody else, you know.
0: Yeah. I feel like oftentimes... At least with my personality, like I give myself the benefit of the doubt. And if I'm not actually tracking something and looking at like hard stats, like Mm -hmm. this is what you're reading, I'll just say, oh, yeah, I think I'm reading a lot of those books, you know, and then you look at your stats and you're like, oh, only one fifth of those books. Are that thing that I wanted to read. And so I I do the same thing. I make um, certain goals. And like each year for the podcast, I focus on bringing out more. So I look at I do stats for the entire podcast as well. So like all the books we've ever talked about in the podcast that year. And then I make pie charts, and I send it to everyone. And I'm like,
1: we do the same thing for get books. Jen Jen tracks every book that we talk about on the show.
0: Yeah, it's I love seeing it. It it brings me joy, but it's also like, here are our goals. And I know that some people are like, is nothing ever good enough for you? <laughs> but I'm like, it's look at these beautiful pie charts and. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's joy in the data in and of itself, <laughs> like just poking at it.
0: I'm that person that finds joy in the fact that I will never achieve reading perfection, but I will be striving toward it my entire life, which means I'll be reading all of these amazing books. And that makes me excited while It drives people like my friends and spouse a little batty because (laughs) um, I'm always doing that process. So that's something that I want to talk about today is like looking at our 2019 goals and then in reading and then how that is inspiring our 2020 goals since we do have a similar process in that way.
1: Okay, so... I always want to read at least uh, 33% people of color because that represents the makeup, like the racial makeup of the U.S. at the time. And that's also how we work our editorial coverage at Book Riot. We base it on the census. I So I track that. But I don't, I've and have been since twenty fourteen. But I don't need to pay attention to it. I'm at fifty percent for the year, and I usually am for the past several years. Um, and the same thing with women. I always want to read more than fifty percent women. And I'm usually at like 80 or 90. So I don't have to pay attention to that at all. Sorry, fellas. Like (laughs) much love, but I don't know. 2019 was interesting because in 2018, I really focused on reading more books from small presses and reading more books in translation. And those two things have also carried over into 2019, even though I'm not striving to do it like as much as I was uh, last year, but I still read almost 20% uh, books from small presses and almost 10% books in translation, which is great for me because I am very representative of a normal American reader where most people, you know, only 3% of the books published in the U.S. are published in translation. So I wanted to do more than that in 2018. um, And I did. And then I I did again this year without really trying. What I was really focusing on in 2019 was keeping my number of books written by authors who were American at 70% or under. Like, I wanted to read at least 30% people from uh, authors who were not from the U.S. Uh, And so, I mean, I've still got a month left, but so far, so good. I'm at, like, 67% um, American authors, Uh, and so I will probably do a like big push at the end of the year. We're closed every year from Christmas to New Year's. And so in that week, I like to like catch up on a bunch of books that I've missed from the year. And so I'll probably just like make a stack of a bunch of authors who aren't from the US and like plow through them at the end of the year. But that was really my focus for this year. And I wanted to like, I've focused so much in the past few years on making sure that I'm reading a lot of women that I almost felt like my reading for 2018 needed to be, I don't know, just like not American white women. Like I was getting tired of that voice and that perspective. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to read authors of on any part of the gender spectrum who like just weren't from this country because <laughs> it's a voice yeah that I was like, "Um, eh. I need a break from this. I also had, a, this is a, maybe a bit random, but I wanted to read more books from my own piles in my house. Uh, so I started tracking the source of my books. Uh, and I have been doing that for a year, but I, I mean, for a while, but I wasn't necessarily paying as much attention to it until 2019. So like 42% of the books that I've read this year so far have been from my own stacks and 35% from the library, which I'm pretty proud of because I love my library. They're important. So important. Go support. I mean, like, indie bookstores get a lot of press in the bookish world, like in the media and on social media when we're talking about books and reading. Everybody talks about supporting indies, and that is important. I totally agree with that. I think supporting your library is more important, to be honest. So
0: I think there's also, I mean, not to get on a rabbit trail, but (laughs) you also have to have money to go and support your indie. Mm -hmm. And I'm not one of those people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the library, yes. Now, I will say I'm having a bit of an existential crisis with this whole ebook lending thing yeah. and how, like, if you actually check out a book, it might be costing your library money and trying to figure that out is a mess, but I will spare our listeners <laughs> that today. <A> conversation <laughs> about Macmillan. <laughs> oh, my word. I'm just like, Tor, you're killing me. Yep. Like, what are you doing to my reading life? Because I always use those for audiobooks, even if I buy the book somewhere else. Most of my audiobooks come from the library, so.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I digress.
1: So that's it. That was a lot. But those are my like bajillion goals for 2019 that I had.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm similar and I am trying. feel like I'm trying to make up some reading. So mm-hmm. I shoot for 50% black indigenous people of color authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, women has not been an issue. This year, which in most years it's not. I imagine it's not ever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, I can't really feature this. So I do, when I typically read men, it's typically, you know, uh, a man in some sort of intersection of identity, like he's a queer man or, a, you know, man of color or whatever, so that I can still broaden the perspective. Because I am at the point in my life where I want to read generally, books about other people's lives and learn more about that. Um, but at the same time, this mm. year, one of my big goals was reading rural, uh, particularly Appalachian stories. What happened, though, was I DNF'd mm. most of them because I hated them. Oh, <laughs> so that was really frustrating because I would go find a book that, there's been a lot of them this year, and I would look at it, and it always was either like the religious the hypocritical religious man who charms snakes or a commune Mm -hmm. or the queer person who has to leave Appalachia to be happy or like those kinds of ideas that I see a lot out of the publishing houses in New York. And so I actually found some indie presses though are doing some great work with it, but they're mostly in print. So I've been slowly like working my way through Appalachian reckoning. So that was really my focus this year, but it was a different journey than Mm. I expected. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, with that. I still have that on my list to keep reading in the next year. But there's some cool things coming out as well next year. So based on your reading stats this year, what are your goals for 2020?
1: So one of them I'm going to carry over from 2019. Uh, I was trying to read more books from people who were not from the US. I'm going to specify that I'm going to try to read more Philip pino authors specifically not necessarily just from the philippines like filipino american or anywhere is fine Um, but i would like to read more books from that part of my personal culture so i'm definitely going to do that in 2020 other than that i want to read more lgbtq literature that's never been a thing that i've focused on i especially i'm still looking forward to this i have like a stack i want to read more lgbtq (laughs) romance i love romance novels love 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 that's like what i've been reading for the past two weeks almost exclusively it's been amazing (laughs) uh and i really love historicals contemporary romance is great but i really really love a historical and there are so many um lesbian regency romances that have come out recently and that are coming out in the next couple of months and i am Mm -hmm. all about this like this is one i want to read in 2020 lesbian regency romances it's very specific but any any (laughs) genre of lgbtq literature i'm here for I also want to read more indigenous literature, and that can be, you know, not just Native Americans, First Nations authors. I want to read more indigenous literature from Australia and New Zealand, and that's been something that I've paid attention to a little bit when I'm incorporating it into this grander scheme of, like, reading people of color. But then this year, when I was focusing on reading people who were not American, I ran into this, like, well, if I pick up an indigenous author... Is that an American author or just somebody who is indigenous or is Native American and from a tribe? Would that be considered their country? Like I had all of these questions and it's just like big existential, like you know, confused puppy face on my head. So I'm going to focus just on that a lot in 2020 and try to like solve that conundrum in my brain. I don't know. And then the my other goal is to really read more books by authors from rural settings or not just rural, but industrialized like Rust Belt mm-hmm. settings, basically like not the coasts <laughs> and not big, not big cultural centers in the US because I'm from rural Virginia and it's just not a voice that we hear a lot of in any genre. And I think that that is... A problem so yeah, definitely <laughs> that's what I'm that's a lot of goals but my main two are LGBTQ literature indigenous literature and then I'm adding on also um, Filipino literature and books in rural settings
0: I have a friend I got a she is Polish but she's living in Estonia but she knows that I am here for queer romance and she sends them to me, and is like, "This title's coming out, Kendra, and the audiobook is coming out three months later. Here you go, go for it." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, "You are the romance fairy I need in my life." Like, oh my goodness. So yeah, definitely. So my goals are: I want to read more international authors. For the Reading Women Challenge, we always pick two English language bookmarks. Like that first goal that you see will be like this year. It's 2020 is the Caribbean and India. And so we look at mm. English language book markets that are often ignored by particularly American readers. And then also researching those, I realized how America dominates and mm. how that is erasing oftentimes the literary culture that's already existing and how that obviously that is a problem. So I want to read more international authors and also more authors in translation. The problem that I am finding when researching books for this is that not a lot of them are available in audio because it's indie presses that are doing a yeah. lot of the heavy lifting for this and audiobooks aren't always available because they don't sell which is unfortunate but even with someone who's plugged in to the industry it's so hard to find yeah. does
1: amazon crossing
0: do audiobooks oh i'm sure they do if i mean they have audible right there on the doorstep i know that's the thing with when amazon publishes a book i know they'll be have a great audiobook typically nine times out of 10. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I also am looking at LGBTQ plus books because this year I realized I only read one fifth Mm. of the authors that I read were queer in some way. And I was frustrated by that stat, even though I go out and I look for them, it's still not enough. I've heard a stat somewhere that that is like some sort of, census ratio but i want to i feel like i need to make up time Mm -hmm. as it were Mm -hmm. so that's something i'm looking for but i found some books that i want to mention because i've been researching like rural queer people stories of them living their lives in a rural place because we need more of those and so belt publishing which published what you're getting wrong about appalachia has an lgbtq plus anthology coming out in the fall of 2020 and then Uh, the West Virginia University Press published an Appalachian anthology for queer literature this year and next year they have a storytelling in queer Appalachia coming out in July so that's
1: awesome
0: I'm so excited indie presses man (laughs) I know they're doing they're doing great and the other thing is books about women with uh, chronic illnesses or disabilities preferably disabling chronic illness since that's what I have Mm. uh, but I just don't see them and part of that is sick people are If you have time, you typically want to spend it, you know, with your family or doing whatever, as opposed to writing something. So there's not a ton of them, but I am looking for them and I'll just probably just keep it on my list for a few years to find them. But there's been some good, good ones come out in the last couple of years, but... I still would love to see more and a wider range of disabilities and chronic illnesses represented would be better because we're all thrown in the same bucket. Mm. Obviously, my experience is going to be different than someone who spends most of their life in a wheelchair and has to maneuver that way is going to be different from mine. And a lot of people just don't want to make the effort to understand that difference. So I want to do that and then share it. Yeah. You know, I'm making hand gestures of sharing. You are
1: a resource. (laughs) i'm doing that i'm also making a weird gesture i'm doing like the miss america like
0: (laughs) we we have taken too many flights and seen too many flight attendants (laughs) i think it's uh funny how we both have very similar Mm goals so if you come across things definitely let me know
1: i think you know i i think that when you work in like the literary media it's easier to spot the holes in what is and isn't mm-hmm. being published. So it makes mm-hmm. sense to me that we would develop the same kind of goals over time because we're seeing the same ways that publishing is neglecting whoever, like what voices are missing. It's easy to see that when you get books in your house all the time or audiobooks in your computer all the time, you know.
0: Yeah, and you're, you know, getting pitches and yeah, exactly. lists of books. You just run through and you look for something and you're like, I can tell within like 30 seconds yep. if I want this book or not. And I'm like, okay, well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking nerdy, bookish spreadsheets and goals.
1: Anytime. I love this it's stuff lovely. so
0: much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where can our listeners find you about the internet?
1: Uh, I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can also find me on my podcast, Get Booked, which is, you know, available wherever podcasts happen in the internet. And that is my podcast with Jen Northington, where we answer reader questions for recommendations
0: super fun Demolo's questions are
1: very specific really
0: <laughs> very they're quite so thick. Yeah. <laughs> i love the one where they're trying to get someone to read more diversely and they're like can you find one that's not too um you know flag waving those are my favorite still- like
1: how do i get my dad <laughs> who only reads books about winston churchill to read a book by a woman like what do i do and i'm like uh, let me uh, this is what i was born for <laughs> roll up my sleeves <laughs>
0: I feel like we all have a dad or an uncle in our lives like
1: yep. that. <laughs> I was that dad, like that was me. I only read books <laughs> by Dickens and books about Winston Churchill, so I know, I know this audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I greatly appreciate it. Everyone should definitely go check out your podcast. I love it. I listen to it every week. It's a breath of fresh air. It brings me joy. So. All right. Well, uh, uh, we will talk to you later. And thanks so much. And that's our show. And thanks to Amanda Nelson again for coming on to talk about all things bookish goals and spreadsheets. Another reminder that this is the last episode of the 2019 season. We will talk to you again in early 2020, where we have some interviews lined up already. And Joss and I will be talking about our most anticipated reads of the first half of 2020. I cannot believe that we are already there. If you would like to go shop in our Etsy store for tote bags or go check out our t-shirt campaign, those will of course be linked in our show notes. We'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. If you would like to become one of our patrons or to subscribe to our newsletter, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. And thank you so much for listening.